Why have the designs of motherhood remained hidden? What can we learn from the design history of pessaries? How can we expand the definition of motherhood? Today's guest, Zoe Greggs and Gabriella Nelson, will help us to answer these questions. Welcome to Design Lab. I'm your host, Bon Koo. On this show, we explore the question, how might we design healthier lives? Zoe Greggs, pronouns she, they, is a black, queer, femme, non-binary, Philadelphia-based artist and nonprofit administrator. She has a BFA from the University of Arts with a concentration in printmaking and book arts. In 2020, they participated in Artwell's Equity Fellowship Program that champions the power of women and non-binary people of color as change agents to tackle institutional race and gender bias in their organizations and beyond. Zoe is also the curatorial assistant for Designing Motherhood, where she brings her expertise of community engagement, project management, and art history. Zoe co-leads the Designing Motherhood Story Banking Initiative, which utilizes the power of storytelling to advocate for a future where caregivers can birth with dignity, parent with autonomy, and raise babies who are healthy, growing, and thriving. Through their passion for black feminism, critical race theory, and systems change, they strive to create processes and joyful relationships that uproot systemic harm and shift mainstream narratives about shared history and trajectory. Our other guest is Gabriella Nelson. She is a mother, city planner, possessing a strong interest at the confluence of urban development, public health, and critical pedagogy. She currently works as the Associate Director of Policy for Maternity Care Coalition, where she advocates for best policies and practices regarding maternal child health and early learning. She believes that the city is for everyone, especially for those who stay after bearing decades of disinvestment and devastation. Gabriella has lectured widely on the topics of maternal child health, city planning, and advocacy, She is interested in redesigning cities, systems, and policies that oppress and work against the liberation of those historically left behind. She identifies as a problem solver, inquisitive thinker, and a creative person whose experiences and opinions are deeply rooted in her womanhood, motherhood, and blackness. If you haven't done so already, sign up for our newsletter. Each week you will find links and articles to super cool stuff. You can find the newsletter at bit.ly forward slash design lab newsletter, or follow us on Twitter at design lab pod. On top of the account, you will find a link to the newsletter. Please support this show. You can do that by rating us on Apple podcasts and Spotify and giving us a comment on Apple podcasts. Give us five stars. Now here's my conversation with Zoe and Gabriella. Zoe and Gabriella, welcome to Design Lab. Thank you for having us. I'm so excited for this. I've been waiting months to have you on the show. So this is super exciting. And are you all based in Philadelphia? I was until very recently. This might be TMI, but I have moved back with my mother to get more support. I know we're talking about motherhood and caregiving soon. So, you know, thinking about what family structure looks like for me was me moving back home so she could help me with my son. Mm. Although he has a very active father, we co-parent, but you know, 
it's a pandemic. Every other day, the kid is home from daycare from being sick. So she's been a really great help. So I'm in New Jersey now. I okay. said all that to say I'm in New Jersey. Close. <laughs> what about you, Zoe? Yeah, I'm Philly based now. I've lived here for like, I think we're going on nine years, but I'm originally from the middle of nowhere in central Pennsylvania. So. <laughs> Love it. We got, well, we have like a southeastern Pennsylvania Philly show going on this morning. I love it. And you all have a awesome exhibit at the Mitter Museum in Philadelphia called Designing Motherhood. And I got a chance to actually see the exhibit. Rob and I, I saw the exhibit last month. It's at the Mütter Museum, which is one of my favorite museums. It's a cool museum found in 1863. So if you have a chance to be in Philadelphia, I would totally recommend going to this exhibit. Uh, can you tell us about the exhibit? Yeah, absolutely. Gabriella, do you want to go or should I? So another another background info, my kid is two <laughs> and I'm trying to entertain him as best as I can. So I will try to, yes, I can start, but please, I'm going to need you to know. Partners in crime. So Designing Motherhood, it's a huge project. It started off as an Instagram and a book. And in the book, there's a lot of talk about different objects that make or break our birth. Yes, the book. But I just showed his copy of the book. And so the exhibition at the Nuder Museum is really showcasing some of those objects and design histories. And I'm going to pass it off to Zoe because the kid. <laughs> He's cute. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so the exhibition at the Mutter Museum yeah. will be up for a year. Um, it opened in 2021, so it oh, will actually lot. close this year in 2022. So if you are able to go and visit, please do. It's a smaller exhibit than our one at the Center for Architecture and Design. What it does focus on is really design objects that are related to the arc of human reproduction. So we have some IUDs. We have the speculum. We have a few different types of breast pumps throughout the ages. And we also have a very large collection of unusual um, pessieres, which <laughs> um, some of them you look at and you're like, I don't know how a human used these objects, but somebody came up with them. <laughs> what um, What is that for people listening who don't know? I can jump in. I'm yeah, going to... You're going to see me do like acrobatics to entertain this boy. I love um, it. I love but, it. And so a pessary is a tool that helps with incontinence and um, uterine prolapse. I think we learned through throughout this process that one in two people that have a uterus will experience uterine prolapse in their lives. 50% of that, that blows my mind. I haven't heard a stat like that about anything or anything. What is uterine prolapse? I don't know the correct medically correct way to say it but quite frankly is when your uterus begins to droop down out of place yeah. and so a pessary kind of holds it where it's supposed to be so that you can function and do things as normal as possible a lot of people might experience uterine prolapse after having a baby just with old age just uh, various things but yeah i'm not sure what the medical smooth non-crude way to say that is, is that, that is uterus a perfect, falling out yeah that, that's a perfect description and it, it's so common yeah. but it's not something people talk about no it's not no. something people talk about and the design history shows that men 
people that don't have uterus have designed it <laughs> for a very long time, which is why if you go to the exhibition at the Muter Museum, you'll see these pessaries that are, they're huge or they're just like, they're made out of glass or metal. And it's like, this doesn't make sense. But luckily we're in a phase now where there are young women identifying designers that are creating a pessary that works, that is user-friendly, and hopefully things will continue in that vein when it comes to design. Now, this was my first time stepping into a museum and seeing things that I've actually worked with in the hospital, like a speculum. There are things like you know, an IUD, a pessary, a breast pump. It's a quite unusual exhibit, probably nothing else like it in the world. What was the inspiration for you both to get involved helping to curate this exhibit? So this, I guess, would have been in 2019, maybe 2018. Honestly, the past few years have just been one year to me, <laughs> to be honest. But Michelle Fisher and Amber Winnick, who are the two of the head curators on the project, there's also Dr. Juliana Barton. She's also a head curator. Michelle visited the offices at Maternity Care Coalition, and they're based in Fairmount, Philadelphia. And she walked into the office in this like very long sort of peacoat with her Scottish accent, holding uh, a few books and a few papers. And of course, you know, I feel like when someone comes in with any type of accent, people are immediately fascinated and they're like, oh, oh my gosh, you're, you're different. Like, can you talk to me? So, <laughs> and Michelle's very good as she's a people person. So she came in and she sort of sat down our, the CEO and the VP and I was lucky enough to be at the table and she said, you know, I, Amber and I have been working together. We have this Instagram called Designing Motherhood. We have wanted for it to be a book and we've wanted it to be two exhibitions. And when we brought this idea to the table to, you know, places that we have worked, they have said that no one would be interested. And we just have not had any luck with anyone really picking up this idea and seeing it as worthy. And she asked, you know, would Maternity Care Coalition, you're doing great work in the communities. You know, you have doulas, you have educators, you have community members that are lifting up one another. Is it possible for you maybe to be thought leaders on this project? And MCC said, you know, sure. Why not? This seems great. I love you. <laughs> Let's do it. And I was lucky enough because I was there in the room. They looked at me and they said, so you're interested in our right? Like you went to school for screen printing or something. And this seems, you know, you're nerdy. Let's, yeah. <laughs> and I said, yes. <laughs> so that's sort of how I became a curatorial assistant on the project. And it's been a really wild and lovely ride. And it was part of the reason that I was able to meet Gabriella and become friends with her. And she's such a beautiful human. So I'm going to I love you. I came to Designing Motherhood way after everyone. <laughs> I started at MCC in August of 2020, which in hindsight was a very ridiculous time <laughs> in our country. I think there was a lot of social uprising. I guess we can say that we were in the beginning <laughs> of the pandemic, whatever the beginning is. Is there an end? I don't even know. But we were in the first year of the pandemic and it was just a crazy time. And it was crazy for me as well, like personally, because my son was or just a year prior. So I was still like a little bit going through like the whole 
I mean, postpartum is forever, but I feel like I was kind of knee deep in it because as soon as my son turned six months and was going to daycare and finally I was getting situated in this motherhood thing, kind of, the pandemic hit. So I was in a very weird space, got a new job. The world is crumbling around me. I have a new little baby, a little black boy in Philadelphia. Like, what did I just do? (laughs) And I decided that I wanted to just take some time to pause and celebrate myself and my child. And one morning I literally woke woke up. My mom was there. She's always there. (laughs) She was there. And I was like, can you just take pictures of me in August? We ended up taking some pictures. I mean, we probably took like a hundred and there were like two good ones because my mom, she wears bifocals. She can't really see that well. Like it was literally, I was just taking pictures to take them and document this time because so much was happening and I just, I just wasn't present. And so I ended up taking this really great picture that my mom took with my son of me breastfeeding him. And I put it on my Instagram. I got hired by MCC and somehow, some way, the Designing Motherhood team saw this picture on Instagram. And that was my introduction to them. It was like, oh my gosh, we saw this picture on Instagram. Can we use it for the book? And I'm like, the picture my mom took? Yeah, (laughs) sure. You can use it for the book if you want to. Like, that's great. And I think once we connected in that way, we started to talk a little bit more and my background is in city planning, so design in a, in a different way. And it kind of, everything just started to fall into place. And it's like, we want you to be a bigger part of this project, not just putting your picture in the book, but also co-directing with Zoe, the narrative portraiture project, serving as one of the curators on the exhibitions, which is something I never planned to, I have no experience. Like so many great things from this project happened since I started. And it was through social media, you know, Sometimes I hate social media, but like, I'm really glad that I put that picture on my Instagram. I love that story. In the book, there's a great definition of motherhood, and I'm not going to read the entire definition, but one sentence is motherhood is myriad. And I love that. Do you get frustrated when motherhood is seen only as a female issue? Yeah, I think it's personal. It's personal for me because I'm a mother. I identify as a mother. I also identify as a parent, as a caregiver, whatever. Like I I take care of my kid. I take care of other people. I'm a caregiver, but I also identify as a mother. So for me, if someone seeing the the name Designing Motherhood of the project, I assume that people think of a female identifying person or presenting person because that is normally what we would associate with motherhood. What I get frustrated with is people that want to call themselves a mother or a parent or a caregiver and other people thinking because they don't look a certain way or they don't present a certain way or don't, they don't experience life in a certain way that they aren't deserving of that title. If you want to call yourself a mother, who am I <laughs> to tell you that you aren't? If you want to call yourself a caregiver, even if you never biologically gave birth, you can give care to many people in many different ways. You can be a plant mom and a dog mom. I know you can't really compare (laughs) plants and animals to a a human baby, but there are so many ways that people give care, regardless of what reproductive organs you have, regardless of what biological experiences you have. Yeah. And I would, I definitely agree with Gabriella. I think Weirdly enough, I don't, I've been thinking a lot about it. And I think maybe I can even say that designing motherhood was part of the reason that I ended up kind of identifying differently about my own gender. Like a few years ago, I 
considered myself a woman. I was like, yeah, yeah, I don't always necessarily feel a kinship with all women or I can sometimes feel a little weird when I'm in a group with other women and like there might be a little bit of a disconnect. And I sort of equated femininity and womanhood as the same thing. And I am definitely feminine. I love feminine things. So I just assumed that it was all one and the same. And I think through designing motherhood and through this journey, I started really investigating what womanhood was, what my feelings behind some of this stuff were, just like these little whispers under the surface. And now I identify as non-binary, a non-binary femme. And I think during the time I would find myself getting really frustrated and I assumed that that frustration was coming from a place, of course, wanting to uplift other marginalized identities and really fight against the transphobia that is so rampant in cisgender heterosexual communities and honestly in queer communities as well. And not realizing that part of that frustration may have actually come from the fact that it was part of my experience. <laughs> that was where that frustration was coming from. So it's kind of a wild thing. And I think that limiting motherhood in this way to just saying like it's only for cisgender heterosexual women. They're the, you know, people who have the ability to birth is a really harmful and binary construct and way of thinking. And, you know, it also limits women who do not have the ability to reproduce. And there are people who do not identify as women who have the ability to reproduce and they might be and I think it's important to note they might be uncomfortable and dysphoric around the idea of being called a mother because they can feel that it might invalidate their own identities. That's not the same for everybody. But I think that what similar to what Gabriella said, if that term is what you know fills your heart with joy, then you deserve to use it. I don't think we should be gatekeeping who gets to identify as a parent or a birth giver based on white supremacist constructs of what that is. I think we harm ourselves and other people when we do that. There was someone who I had used to work with and she was expressing her frustration at using the term pregnant people because she felt like she identified as a mother, she identified as a woman, and that it was inadvertently taking away from her experience as being able to identify as a mother and a woman, which to me is the most, and if I can swear, um, yeah. cool, <laughs> uh, is the most like backwards bullshit because no one is saying that you can't identify as a, a mother. In fact, we're saying the exact opposite or that you can't identify as a woman. We're saying Anybody can. No one's taking something away from you. So I think you've just, you really hit the nail on the head. It's a very heated topic and a lot of violence can really occur within that space. Yeah. And it's so deeply personal because just like that coworker who felt violated for people saying birthing people, it's a personal thing. So it's, it's never just about what is and what is fact. It, there's always so much personal in it and there's so much value placed on having children and being a mother. Hey, I'm a mom. I love being a mom. I will never take it back. I love my kid. I might do it again. I don't know. But there is your identity gets so conflated when you become a parent. It's almost like your value is only tied to the labor that's associated of you taking care of your family, which is, is bullshit. We are people before we have kids. We are people after we have kids. God forbid 
something happened to our kids, who are we then? You know what I mean? So it just becomes so personal. So ah, so touchy-feely when you talk about like, what is a mother? What does it mean to be a mother? What is mothering, especially if you haven't experienced it in a way that society deems as normal? It was so enlightening to me when I entered into your exhibit and realizing the experiences, products, the services of motherhood are actually design. And the design has impacted millions, probably hundreds of millions of people on the planet. And I was thinking, why is there so much bad design in the motherhood space? Oh, I mean, I don't have all the answers, but <laughs> you all are the experts. <laughs> <laughs> one of the main things, one of the main things that we we talked about when we were talking about the pessaries is that the users of these designs are not the designers. For the vast majority of the products that you saw, if you think about the design of policy, the design of certain housing, like many times the designer is not reflective of the person or people or population of folks that are using it. So you're always going to like fumble. You won't fumble the hell out of it because you're not including people that are going to be most impacted. Like I'm sure if the first person to create a pessary, and maybe it was a woman and we just don't have that documentation, right? Like maybe, we don't know, but I'm sure like if it was somebody with a uterus, they would have said, actually, hell no. I don't think metal should be sitting up there. Like, let's look at something else. Let's look at another material, like simple things like that. And especially with my city planning background, I see that all the You see that all the time in the communities that are being built up or gentrified or whatever. They're not including the people that maybe are there already and are going to be most impacted. And it turns into a living hell a lot of the time. Yeah. And I, I think Gabrielle is completely right. And I'd also say I am an anti-capitalist, so I tie everything back to capitalism. And I'm like, it's their fault. But like, <laughs> and I think sometimes people are like, uh, stop, please. But I'm like, no. <laughs> um <laughs> And I think that it's sort of like, it reminds me of this idea of like a hamster wheel, right? We're all on this hamster wheel and we're running and we're running and we're running. And the goalpost is constantly moved over and over again. So for me, when I think about these idea of like bad design as products, I think at the end of the day, it's also a question of, are you going to buy it? Like if we can feed into your guilt and your worry at not being a good parent at not being a good birth giver or family member, and that can be capitalized off of, you're going to buy as many, you know, baby books as you possibly can by people, you know, you don't have to be an expert to write a book. And I, <laughs> I feel like people get really confused, like, oh, you have a book, so everything in it must be right, right? <laughs> or like, oh, this is a design object, so it just must work. It must be right. And it's like, no, anybody can make anything. It, it doesn't mean it's good. It just means, are you willing to buy it? And if the marketing is right and capitalizes off of your fears, you'll drop that $200 for it. I, uh, we used this example the other day. There's this object called the willow. And it's if you look it up, it's at the Mutter Museum, so you can see it on display. But it's a chunky, ugly object that <laughs> You cannot, that does not look like it would be comfortable to use. And you can go on YouTube and watch. What um, is it designed for? It's a breast willow? pump. It's a, sorry. Yes, it's a breast pump. And it's, it's huge. And you like put it 
in your bra to like chest feed. But when I tried to put this thing together to like glue it down to the base in the museum, the thing can't even sit right. A, B, you can't, it's so hard to put together. Like it's, it's a bunch of different parts. And I, I remember thinking like, if I had a child and I was in pain because my like chest is swollen and I'm tired and I'm angry, putting together this object would throw me over the edge. (laughs) (laughs) I would be, I'd be over it, but people are spending $200, Oh no, I think it's like close to like It's more than, yeah, it's a, I'm going to, I'm going to Google it, but I remember looking, I remember looking into it when, when I was using a breast pump because the breast pump that I had for my insurance was bulky as hell. And I'm like, I want something sleek and modern and that I can just walk around and still live my life while I pump. And I was like, I saw the price and I said, I'm just going to sit here <laughs> and, you, and use what my shorts pay for because. On, you know. on Amazon, it's $500. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Crazy. I was lowballing. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> They're stealing from you. And I feel like that is, it's something that we have to, you know, step back. It's the same with beauty products. Uh, you know, it's not just necessarily motherhood when it comes to design. But yeah, so we just need to be maybe more aware of why we're buying things and who it's serving and if it's really going to help us. Mm. Yeah. I also think that there's like this, this belief or this subconscious behavior that there's like a silver bullet for things like... um Mm-hmm. New technology is is best, and this next new thing is going to make everything else obsolete, which really puts us in a bad place because there is no silver bullet. And instead of trying to, in my city planning, like hey, like figure out this math, this one single master plan or this one solution to one problem, we should be thinking about the interplay of objects, of policies, of systems, and how they interact with each other. It makes me think about the Black granny midwives of the South. And as soon as the, the midwifery profession was professionalized and you had to have like certain education and, and certifications to practice, they wiped out pretty much all of the Black granny midwives and basically were saying, this is now the best and new thing. When there were so many practices, so many belief systems, um, so much to learn from that, that now we're trying to remember and to get back to but it's just like okay we know something is coming it's better it's new there's more technology so we don't need that and that's false that is just a completely false narrative zoe and gabrielle what would you like to see redesign in your lifetime in this space that is such a good question and i'm trying not to think like so trivial (laughs) it can be trivial it could be big i have an issue with um I'm sorry. And I know, I know that they are super important to protect our children. I get it. I want them there, but they, they provide so much strife in my life with having a young child. And I don't know if this is something personal to me, but even when I was a new mother, like fresh out the hospital for months, months, I didn't go anywhere because the car seat was too heavy. I couldn't figure out how to do it in an efficient way. By the time I put my kid in there, like I'm sweating. I don't want to go anywhere. Like I'm stressed out. And then I got to take them out and it, it go somewhere and put them back. Like it was just too much. And I know that's super trivial. That's literally just the first thing that came to my mind. Also probably because we, me and my kid went to the store this morning and in the rain. And I was just like, 
I can't wait till he's old enough to just sit in the front seat. But I'm sure that there are many other objects, design objects, design policy that I can think about. I just I need a minute to think about it. Oh, I, I feel the same way about the car seats too. When my kids were young, I mean, they're heavy and they're heavy for me. And I can't tell you how many times when you click that, the, the button to the belt that I actually clip my kids, a piece of their skin got in that. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I torture them when they were younger. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Zoe? What is something that you would like to see redesigned in your lifetime? Yeah, I think this is something that I've learned from Gabriella of sort of like thinking bigger. I think she definitely helps me do that and sort of break out. So I would say I will die on the free healthcare hill. Yes. You know, if you go to the Center for Architecture uh, and Design, oh, it's actually not up anymore, but it used to be. We had a second exhibition there (laughs) and there was a few examples of the medical bill of how much it costs to have a child in the United States. And it is thousands of dollars. I can't imagine what it would be if you do not have insurance, because even with insurance, it was ridiculous. I just don't think that anybody should be in uh, debt because they want to parent or birth a child. I think it's really, it's really unfair and also just like does not set you up in the best place going forward. Like you really have to be in a position of privilege to be able to easily pay off the the bills. Yeah. So I think that's probably where I would go. Yeah. having, Having a baby in America should not bankrupt you. My birth bill was a part of that exhibition and I had a C-section and I was in labor for almost 32 hours. I'm trying to find it because clearly I have tried to erase it from my mind. I don't remember how much it was. I mean, I know it was in the thousands and thousands, but clearly I have tried to forget that part of my life, but I'm trying to find it. You had to pay for that out of pocket? I didn't. I didn't. But I had really good insurance at the time. Thankfully, I was working for the government. I was set. And I, I, I had no idea how much my birth cost because I didn't have to worry about it, thankfully. But it wasn't until we started talking. Amber, she gave birth at home and she was talking about her birth bills. And I went looking for mine and I was appalled at how much it cost to do things that I didn't even really want to do. I mean, I wanted to give birth, but not that way. I didn't want all the things that happened to me um, and I didn't have a choice. And if I didn't have good insurance, I don't even know. I don't even know. I'm going to try to find it though. How has your life experience being a person of color shaped your personal understanding of the design of motherhood? It has, it's shaped so much. When I, I only got into maternal child health, like learning about the history of black reproduction and stuff like that because of my own reproductive issues. When I was in grad school, I was pregnant, was super, super excited. Like, I've always wanted to be a mom. I'm going to walk across that graduation stage with a belly. Like, it's lit. (laughs) And one day I woke up. I knew something was wrong. It was early on in the pregnancy. And I called my doctor. I spoke to a nurse. And they pretty much, I told them that, you know, I was experiencing some bleeding. And they were just pretty much like, you know, well, you know, take a nap. Maybe don't go to school today. And we'll see how it goes. I took a nap, woke up, and I knew it was over. Like I knew that I was miscarrying and not that the nurse could have done anything to stop it, 
But it was just so dismissive. It was just like, take a nap. Not like, well, come in, let's check you out. I'm pretty sure everything's okay, but just come. There was none of that. It was like, girl, go to sleep. You all right. And I wasn't. And it was a really traumatic experience. And I was angry as hell. Like I was so angry. And my anger kind of pushed me into learning more about Black reproductive history. Because, you know, when you go through something traumatic, a lot of times you feel like, I'm the only one. Nobody understands what I'm going through. But mm-hmm. the more I researched and the more I talked to people, the more I realized like a lot of people are going through the shit, especially mm-hmm. a lot of people that look like me. And so as I did more research and at this time, this is really when Black maternal mortality and that statistic of Black women dying three to four times more likely than white women was really starting to get into the news a lot like we're talking about Beyonce we're talking about Serena Williams yeah. we're talking about all these people that had means that were yeah. experiencing these things um, Serena Williams almost died from a pulmonary embolism and is being exactly. dismissed of her symptoms and exactly. who has all the assets on the planet exactly exactly so imagine a, a little grad student in Philly <laughs> you know like no one's listening and it really prepared me for for my birth, which was also traumatic, not because I don't think people listen, but because the larger systems that were at play. I was just lecturing at a NYU nursing class and somebody was like, do you think your birth outcome would change if you were a white woman? And I honestly have never thought about that. I've never thought about it because it's a mute point to me because I'm always going to be black. <laughs> like I'm a, I'm not a white passing person. I'm always show up as black. So the way I show up, the way people see me, I can't do shit about that. And people, doctors, professors, whoever, even me, all of us, we come with our own preconceived notions about certain things based on our experiences, our upbringing, many different things. And people are going to assume certain things about me or treat me certain ways just because of the way I look. And there's really nothing I can do about that except for prepare myself for if and when it happens. But I, motherhood as a Black Woman, motherhood as mother to a black boy who is like big for his age. So people already, even though he's two, people already are treating him as if he's older than what he is. And that scares the shit out of me. Like when he's 15 and probably looks 25, he's a child. And how are people going to be? It's a very, very nerve wracking thing, especially in this day and age. And Mm -hmm. I remember there was a point during the social uprise when um, Breonna Taylor was killed. And I was just thinking, I was having so many dreams of me and my son being in a bed because we co-sleep and me just jumping on top of him as bullets sprayed into our apartment and dying to keep, like, I literally had those visualizations for days, for days, just imagining my death so that I can protect my child. Not because we did anything, just because of who we are, where we live. Mm. And what people may think about us. And that you carry that that which you carry that with you. It impacts the decisions that you make. It impacts the decisions that you make. Your ability to sometimes even think rationally and in, in reality, because reality is messed up. But sometimes, sometimes I'm in my head so much that I'm making decisions based off of a dream that I had, not even reality. So it absolutely impacts everything. Thank you for sharing that, Gabriella. That's very powerful. Yeah, I think she's really summed it up perfectly. I would say I think the industrial medical complex has 
always been a danger to Black women, but, you know, thinking of Henrietta Lacks, uh, Lucy, Betsy, and Anarka, even though, you know, it doesn't have to necessarily do with motherhood and um, design, but thinking about Lauren Smithfields, who is a Black woman who, very recent, um, was murdered and there was you know she was last seen with a an older white gentleman and the police did not investigate it really at all Uh, they didn't interview this guy they said that he seemed like a nice gentleman a nice guy and they let him off scot-free so I think like we just globally even it is a dangerous place for black women and you know walking into a hospital should never be a possible death sentence. And I don't always think that our mainstream society, I mean, I don't think they care, but I also don't think it's really seen as a serious problem. It's like somebody else's issue. Um, can I Can I also say, wait, Zoe, I didn't want to interrupt. No, I was done. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I just also want to say that being a Black parent also is lit as hell. Like, There are a lot of things that we are up against, some things that we don't have any control over, but the culture, the camaraderie, it's a good time. Like (laughs) I'm having a great time. I know so many other Black parents that are having a great time. There's so much strength and empowerment and like tradition that you don't even think is tradition that it's just like, it almost feels like it's ingrained in you. And we come from such a, regardless of where you're from, you know, maybe all of us ain't, ain't descendants of kings and queens, but we got some lit people in our ancestry, right? And I know, especially as like a Caribbean descendant, as a Black American, there is so much history that points to how, I hate the word resilient, so I don't want to use that, but just like how steadfast we are, like, and how the culture that we have, the, the art, the history, we carry that in us. It's not really in buildings. It's not necessarily in all the books it's not in a museum it's in us like Mm -hmm. it's in us and and to see that like materialize in a kid in your child that like damn I didn't even teach him that and he know like it's a beautiful beautiful thing being black comes with a lot of stuff but it is I wouldn't want to be anything else like not by a long shot and I'm just it's lit it's also very lit well, thank you for that message of hope. And uh, my final question, I have so many more, but we unfortunately have to end our conversation is, what is a message that you want our audience to hear or to take away from our conversation? One of the things that I'm leaning into, <laughs> I was going to say Octavia taught us or warned us. Octa- so me and Zoe are huge Octavia Butler fans. We believe she is an oracle <laughs> and she has taught us so many things just about living and being and change and what God is or isn't or just all the things. But in a broader way, I think one of the things that I want to leave with people that has been very fruitful for me is that you got to take the time to step back and just engage in things that kind of kind of tap on that other side of your brain. So in a capitalist society, so many times, it's just all about the go, go, go. And add being a parent on top of that, at working a full-time job, taking care of a parent, all the other responsibilities, years can go by and you maybe didn't even read a book or draw a picture or dance like <laughs> and go crazy, like catch the Holy Ghost up in your bedroom, dancing to Beyonce or whatever the case is. And those 
acts, those behaviors really kind of center us and help us to imagine a world that is different than what we're dealing with right now. I know for me, I've been reading young adult fantasy, (laughs) which is, you know, (laughs) not necessarily learning about like medical racism and Medicaid policy and things that I need for my job, but it allows me to live in my reality, right? Which is awesome. I'm grateful for so many things, but it's also a little crazy. Um, This world is crazy. And then live in this like super science fiction, Afro-futuristic fantasy, and hopefully a new reality lands someplace in the middle. You know what I mean? Like for me, I need to think so far out there that it almost feels possible. Like magic is real. You know what I mean? And if magic is real, then this bullshit that we're dealing with right now, it doesn't have to be that way because we can create something different. And I hope that whether it's reading young adult (laughs) fiction or drawing pictures that nobody even has to see or dancing and twerking at ass, whatever makes you feel good and free, I hope that we all really begin to find the time to do it, not monetize it. It doesn't have to be something that you make money off of, but just be present and really start to dream and imagine alternate futures. I, again, completely (laughs) agree with Gabriella. I think just finding time, I mean, time is, is a privilege, but I think just letting yourself have a bit of imagination and, you know, whether that is reading, you know, for me, I've, gotten back into comic books and reading a lot of like black queer fantasy which has been really exciting because if you had gone to me as a little kid and been like you can be a black elf I would have been like Like, so excited I thought like Disney princesses were like the only thing that I could be so I was like oh I guess I have to be like blonde I don't know (laughs) Um, but (laughs) yeah I I think just trying to carve in a little bit of hope and centering what brings you joy as much as you can, even when it feels impossible, because I think we were really in a bleak time period and it just feels constant. And I think if you, if we stay in that space for too long, I think this is going to have very long lasting, not just like physical body health effects, but I think mental health effects too. And we need to take care of ourselves. And that, like Gabriela says, it doesn't mean you have to buy anything. You don't have to buy anything at all. If it's just like you sitting in the tub and like soaking your feet, do that. Or, you know, blasting music and dancing around your room, do it. Just, yeah, prioritizing that I think is something that I would also say. Zoe and Gabriella, thank you for inspiring me and our listeners. I've been looking forward to this conversation for, for months. So I love that you came on the show. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thank this you for having great. us. You can find both Zoe and Gabriella on Instagram. Zoe can be found at graceful underscore savagery and Gabriella at Sweetwater Taffy. I love those Instagram handles. Also follow Designing Motherhood on Instagram. I'm super thrilled to announce that the second edition of Health Design Thinking, co-written by Ellen Lupton, is now out, so you can order a copy now. Reach out to me on social media on Twitter. I can be found at B-O-N-K-U on Instagram at D-R-B-O-N-K-U. Design Lab was produced by Rob Puglisi. Our theme music was created by Emmanuel Houston. 
and the cover design by Eden Liu. See you next week for part two of Designing Motherhood. Thank you.